0: to the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast with your host, Andy Plymer, bringing you up-to-date coaching concepts from the world of rugby, sharing ideas to make the game better.
1: Welcome to episode 86 of the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast. I'm your host, Andy Plymer, and joining me today is Robin McDowell. Robin is Rugby Canada's lead in talent identification for the women's national team and is a former player for the Canadian Sevens team. He has coached extensively across Canada and even led the Mexican women's team in their historic qualification for the 2018 Rugby World Cup Sevens. It's a pleasure to have him on the show, so welcome, Robin. Thanks for having me, Andy. Yeah, no worries. Uh, you're over in uh, Vancouver Island, beautiful Vancouver Island. How's how's it going with uh, with the lockdown, and and what are some things you you got going on during that time?
2: Well. We, uh, my fiance and I relocated uh, this past fall. So if we could ever be locked down somewhere, it's, it's definitely a good time to be uh, on the West Coast. Uh, we're actually living over top of uh, the ocean in, in beautiful Maple Bay, BC. So doing a bit of fishing, a bit of prawn and a bit of crabbing. And, uh, and I've had a number of athletes reach out. So doing a bit of online coaching and, and that's been an opportunity to grow and, and develop as a coach to try and support some athletes uh, while they're at home.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into that a bit later, no doubt. And touched a little bit, uh, you played played sevens with the national team. Uh, what, what's a bit of a backstory about when you started and, and you, your playing journey there?
2: Yeah, well, like most Canadian kids grew up playing every sport, especially on the West Coast here and uh, baseball, hockey, and then literally any kind of sport within school and a lot of running. Uh, And then later in my teens, uh, I decided to hang up my skates. Uh, I got involved with the Couch and Rugby Club. Back then, they didn't really have a juniors program. Um so I gotta play with the couch and second div. So back then they had a couch and premier team and a second division men's side. And uh, fortunately enough in my in my grade twelve year uh we won the premiers and the second div uh for, for BC hosting the finals at couch and and, and I hung up my baseball glove, I hung up my skates and uh I fell in love with the sport from there. Um and then in my first year of college, I was going to school uh at uh, back then it was Malasabina College. Uh, now it's vancouver island university i believe Mm -hmm. i was halfway through the year and i had a number of uh, coaches uh, reach out to me from across the u.s and and europe and uh, i was about to go to oregon uh, the university of oregon to play rugby there and then i had a guy from northern france in Lille reach out to go there and and it was i think it was 2000 so france had finished second at at the 99 world cup and i figured wow this would be great for my development And having a bit of a a bilingual background um, I jumped on that opportunity so I played a season of pro in France and then a season of pro in 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 northern Italy in Ferrara Um, and that was that was life-changing for a small-town Canadian kid that had barely been on an airplane let alone a city bus Um, and while I was over there um, I I decided I want to represent Canada in seven so after a couple years overseas I relocated and uh, and wanted to study at Uvic and pursue uh, playing sevens for Canada, and that's kind of that's
1: kind of where it all got started for me. That's awesome, and uh, you mentioned Couch and they're they're probably in my top five five uh, favorite names for a rugby club, the Piggies.
2: Yeah, they're uh, well, what a big, what an experience. Uh, uh, we were talking to a coach overseas recently, a Welsh coach, and and he mentioned how. How much singing's involved in in his in in rugby mm. in Wales? And I said, well, we're one of the few clubs. Obviously, I've been on the road. I've been a rugby gypsy for the last 20 years. But whenever I'm back, anytime you walk in the club, it's it's a sing song around the piano, and it's a real beautiful pitch, uh, pavilion, uh, log clubhouse, uh, surrounded by agricultural land. Sorry, right near lake. And about five minutes from the ocean, so uh, very very special place to kind of get introduced to uh, the older club style rugby.
1: Yeah, perfect. And, and what about coaching? What were some of your first coaching experiences? And and reflecting back on those, what what were some of the big takeaways that you you grabbed from that?
2: Well, like 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 most Canadians involved in amateur sport, uh, we kind of coach how we were taught. And I, I think coaching in general, I started at fourteen. I'm forty now, so. Um I started coaching soccer. I coached basketball, baseball, and then rugby, I guess I got really serious when I finished uh, my international career in the late 2000s and um, I connected with Mark Bryant, the editor and, and owner of BC Rugby News, mm-hmm. and I just knew there was so much more talent out there. I got cut for seven years for Canada, and in that time, there was bigger, stronger, faster athletes that flew in from Montreal or Saskatchewan or Ontario in the middle of the winter to an open trial. And they weren't set up for success, but they were bigger, stronger, faster than me. And I, I try, I kept in touch with a number of those guys over the years. And I said, stick with it. And, you know, I knew if I didn't. If I didn't commit to my dream, and I didn't fall through on it, then I wouldn't be able to inspire the next generation. Because ultimately, I'm, you know, I, I love Canadian rugby and the Canadian Sevens uh, um, story, and and always wanted Canada to, to go, you know, one or two or four better than 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 we did in my era. And so I kind of made it my journey and around 2007-2008, to, to travel around BC at that time, um, the the Vanier High School uh, in Comox was winning the provincial championship over all the top schools, so I'd handpick them, of Patrick K., Justin Douglas from Fraser Valley, there's, there's Doug Fraser from Ladysmith that are playing the MLR, A number of those guys started out with me, and then uh, that kind of got me going, and then uh, Carl Fix from uh, from Saskatchewan with the Dog River Howlers, he started asking me to coach player for the Senior Howlers and pushed them to get a junior program, and then from there, uh, we took the first ever junior U18 quasi-national uh, team, international team, to the Las Vegas 7s in the inaugural year with the likes of the guys that i i told you before and we we lost in overtime to the u.s uh um u18 team and and back then i said we need a junior national team program um so that's kind of really where i i kind of got my my cutting my teeth specifically on on kind of higher level sevens um but uh i've coached i've coached at the university level for 13 years and and i just have just as much fun coaching kids too andy
1: yeah no doubt and and from that sounds like um you know giving players opportunities to to play and to perform uh was a was a big observation for you there
2: yeah well it's the the diamonds in the rough and you know fast forward to 2020 where i'm you know um doing talent id for the the canadian system um a number of the athletes are from from you know uh the rural parts of our country mm. you know they, they they're shoveling the snow they're riding horses they're they're wrangling calves. And, uh, you know, when you look at a lot of the national team, 15 sevens, men and women, they're from tier two schools, i.e. not your, your top demographic schools um, mm. and uh, or not your main urban centers. So I went after those athletes. Um, and 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 from my business experience, a lot of those customers you got to get in your car and you got to go find them. You got to talk to the parents. You got to explain the opportunities for the athletes. So, so yeah, definitely, I I I've been hitting the road for the last fourteen fifteen years looking for talent.
1: Yeah, yeah, no doubt. So you know, leads you into your role with Rugby Canada now is uh, leading up their the talent identification for for the women's programs. Under under normal circumstances, what what what's that role look like? Uh, you know, what what would your day to day tasks be?
2: Well, a lot of it was, uh, or a lot of it until this stopped, was, uh, was, was weekend travel. So typically leave on a Friday and, and head out across mainly Western Canada at, at that point over the mm-hmm. winter. Um, a lot of indoor training counts for the, the U18 and next-gen uh, 15s, as well as uh, regional indoor uh, prairie Uh, U18 sevens competitions. And, uh, but before I get on the road, I'm I'm working the phones every day. So unfortunately the weekend that COVID hit, I was, I was meant to go work with rugby, Manitoba for, we had the RBC training ground, the Olympic Mm -hmm. testing event. And so I went to all those as well every weekend, but rather than just flying in and flying out, I wanted to set up with all the local coaches and, and the provincial coaches and all our, our, our provincial leaders, uh, before i got on the ground that way i could maximize my ret- maximize my time on the ground um, and explain the pathway, answer any questions, have a look at their athletes, understand their challenges and weaknesses. And then uh, um, just kind of my other role Rugby Canada is working with the Rugby Canada Development Academy. And uh, so I'd be doing that Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday in the mornings, and then doing skills for the UVic men and women in the evenings. So basically, rugby seven days a week and uh, a bit of skills in between. So yeah, doing what I love every day.
1: Yeah, for sure. And you know, you're, you Seems like your your passion is around sevens. Um, what uh, for for you as a as a sevens coach? When we when we look at you know for, for me, I look at it and they're, they're almost two totally different sports with you know a lot of similarities across um, positionally. What what do you think about what some of the key positional understandings coaches need to have um, to to coach sevens? Uh, often they're coming from a fifteens background, and then there's a, a sevens window uh where they, where they need to prep a team, what what's some of the things you've you've learned in the past around key positional areas?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, you, you want to keep it very simple. And when I played on the World Seven Series, a number of the other UVic guys did too. And we would go from a World Series event. And then we'd hop back into the BC Premier League. Um, but, uh, and we'd have to make that adjustment. But the biggest thing is just the speed, like the mm-hmm. pace in sevens, obviously the, you know, the, the fitness. But from a positional standpoint, positions are set essentially just set pieces, right? Mm-hmm. So scrums are lineouts. You're a winger, you're a center. Um, but outside of that, um, it's, 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 it's the set piece the scrums and the lineouts for more of the forwards. Um, for the backs, we keep it very, very simple for me. Um, simplicity is, is King and, and for developing coaches or or coaches that are working with development athletes, what I recommend is, is, is just that keeping it as simple as possible. I really coach athletes, uh, to, uh, play what's in front of them, um, put people into space and look for space. Um, but be super uh like have your have your lineouts and scrums nailed down to at as far as safety goes, but also execution you don't need a million plays, but the plays you do have make sure your athletes know them um, but from a you know from a positional standpoint we we want athletes to be able to play typically at least the backs all the backs be able to play anywhere in the backs and the forwards to be able to play anywhere in the forwards. Cause you get two, two injuries in a weekend. Mm. Um, and all of a sudden, you know, all, all hell will break loose. So just, I think simplicity is King and, and going back to my early days, coaching sevens for the howlers and stuff. Uh, I worked really, really hard. Uh, like a lot of us do when we're young coaches and now I, I work a lot smarter and just kind of going, um, where you are in the season, uh, how much time you have to prep? All those different things contribute to it. So, you know, but I think I think the majority of those coaches out there in, in North America that aren't coaching at a a full time high performance level, twelve months a year or ten months a year, uh, you want to keep it as simple as possible.
1: Yeah. So by that, do you mean like core skills around things like run catch pass tackle, uh, and then some some you know set piece positional stuff?
2: Yeah, and a big focus for me uh, is uh, is the rock. Yeah. You, and and literally uh the ball carrier um you can watch any level people are completely loose with the ball and the amount of turnovers and when is when is the ball most vulnerable it's most vulnerable in the contact area so just being super aggressive uh for the ball carrier and fighting to get that ball back for security yeah
1: all right cool and you you touched a little bit there on 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 prep time often often that's you know what it is. It's like, hey, seven's coming up. You've got a week, two weeks, four sessions to to prep your team. Uh, if if you're a coach and you're limited with time uh, to to train and prepare, how do how do you kind
2: of prioritize what's 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 going to come first and and triage from there on? Uh, if I'm being honest, number one for me uh, with any team is is culture. So mm-hmm. making sure that culture's king. We set the expectations, but clarity and simple so with little you know most uh, most sevens tours uh you know again with for me for the howlers or the barbarians or even canada i I took the fisu team to naples last year we we were hoping to have two sessions we had one so the number one thing is i want to build a team Mm -hmm. i want everybody on the same page um own the warm-up because in the warm-up you go through all the things that you're going to need in the game. So I want them to know the warm up inside out and if they know the warm up inside out, they know the game plan and they'll execute. But just just focus on again uh the set pieces, make sure you lock them down. You don't have to spend a lot of time on them, but make mm-hmm. sure there's clarity there. Um but the only thing that I recommend nowadays Andy, I turned a huge uh huge corner about a year ago and that the only thing I measure now is what my athletes do when they don't have the ball. Yeah. So Any high school boys team or any guy that gets the ball, it's going to be one on five. I'm having a go. I'm going to score for sure. Of course, we get dumped (laughs) on our head and we lose the ball and the other team goes 90. Uh, Women are are great to coach because they're more selfless by nature and and they want their they want their uh, their sisters to score, not them. Um, But. What I found, uh, specifically working with the Saskatchewan boys, because I was consistently got to work with them for four years straight. I developed these boys, raised these boys on the field. And so we went to Tropical Sevens this last year, and they're kind of my guinea pigs. But we only focused on what we did when we, when we, when we didn't have the ball. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they checked both ways before they crossed the road. So then they got across the road safely. So I didn't have to say, make sure you pass the ball to the wing or make sure in a two-on-one you do that. All I told them to do is is have a look around. So you can see their you can see their heads before they get the ball, and they're looking for space and they're looking for their teammates. Now body language is there, hands are there, catch passes there. Like we've already worked on all those things, but the biggest thing is is the measurables, and the measurables then align to the team culture. If you're focusing on looking around and and, and sharing the ball, then the guys are going to get along, and 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 our result our results were phenomenal. Now. Uh, another layer to that, we videoed these games, of course, and we only videoed the guys off the ball. Yeah, we didn't video right. the tries, didn't video any of that stuff. And uh, it just totally changed the way those athletes understood the game and read the game. But simplicity is king. Uh, and the last piece is a lot of kickers try and um, try and hang the ball 100 meters in the air on mm-hmm. the 10 meter line at, at 17, 18 years old and rather than and then putting it into space so if if you're if you play money ball like I play when I coach sevens you play the odds, dump the ball into space, have a good defense um, but as simple as you can you mm-hmm. might you might be a coach that's coached for thirty years and you have thirty chapters in your playbook, but your team's only on chapter one, so you don't you don't need to pull out chapter thirty you keep them on chapter one and when they 're ready for chapter two, then you pull out chapter chapter two but yeah. In five years with Mexico, I only got to chapter one and a half, and we were on the introduction for the first two years. Yeah,
1: yeah. No, some good advice there. Um, I like the one about working off the ball. It's something that I've I've looked at uh, as well, especially post-tackle. Um, but in attack, I like it because it also kind of um, subliminally makes them understand the principles of player rugby a bit more. So the ball carries going forward. What are you doing? Uh, as a support player to support them and create continuity so I think that's a that's a really good strategy to for coaches to look at
2: yeah absolutely and and a big focus for me again I mean I haven't touched on it but uh, skills all day Mm. I don't think I learned how to pass a ball properly till about six years ago about (laughs) 10 years after my international career ended and um and and I love I love teaching skills and 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 uh, and have some fun fun tactics to do that too. So
1: cool, awesome. All right. Well, what about what are some big areas that you feel that uh, you know uh, as a as a coach from sevens uh, transfer well into the fifteens game?
2: Well, it's it's a great question. Again, um, I think sevens players are kind of have to they have to be gladiators. So mm. and sevens is often. Uh, faster than 15s. Yeah. Because um, you typically have fitter, faster players. That's why I stopped playing it. <laughs> that's good uh but no i mean uh we come back to sevens uh you have you have more you have more time and you have less space but you have more people so you know um one one-on-one tackling and then your evasion obviously is better and then you're passing like typically in sevens you're having to pass the ball further and faster mm-hmm. but uh i think both games complement each other and, and i'm really thankful that in my time i was able to play a lot of 15s and mm-hmm. to be honest yes people everybody associates me as a sevens guy but i've probably coached i've probably played 98 percent more 15s than sevens in my life and i probably coached about the same um but sevens just often in in warmer countries uh with nicer hotels so uh that's 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 definitely influenced a lot of my decision but i think sevens individually just helps refine you as a player because you can't hide out there
1: no, 100%. And, you know, often we hear that comparison that, you know, we want our players playing sevens because what they bring back to 15s is really uh, beneficial, and I, I totally agree. What about the other way around? What What are some of the, the things that the 15s players bring to sevens uh, that that is really helpful and and are positive for a for team in coaching?
2: Well, I think 15s players are very very technically refined in that they know their role Mm -hmm. and skill wise you know 15s doesn't allow for as many chances or knock-ons or other things we're in sevens i might just fire the ball out there to andy to you in a windstorm i know it's not going to hit you in the hands but it's probably going to bounce three times and hit you in 15s you wouldn't do that so there's that and then then ultimately tact tactically right so um you know in 15s you're not necessarily going to run it out of your own end right mm. you're gonna you're gonna pound it down on the field um, so, you learn how to positionally do that stuff too but i think I think having a good variation of both um, definitely complements each other both offensively and defensively. And I guess just one thing that I wanted to circle back on your first question about sevens into fifteens is sevens made me a better tackler, but it also made me a better communicator because Mm. you can't be on the field seven on seven uh, with one sweeper back. So basically six men up against Fiji and not be talking. You're Mm. in full on panic mode trying to stay on the ball. So when you Mm. come back to fifteens, if you can bring that level of awareness and communication and listening, which is such a big piece, uh, then you're going to add a lot of value uh, to your 15s program.
1: Yeah, no, that's a really, really good point. Good stuff. Um, and what, what if someone was coming to watch you coach a, a sevens uh, session? What's it going to look like? Uh, you, you mentioned uh, owning the warm-up there. What about the, the remaining uh, pieces there for the for a practice session?
2: Well, I, I always have – I, I kind of live – I live by and coach by three principles, quality, quality, and everything we do, how we treat each other, how we talk, how we eat, how we sleep, all that. Mm-hmm. Um, together, we do everything for each other. Everything's for the team. So that's, that's in every part of our conversation and fun. Mm-hmm. And I should probably put fun at the start and the ending. Um, but it's always gotta be fun. So what I always challenge coaches is doesn't matter what you want to train your team or what your goals are this season or tomorrow. You, how can you do that, but make it fun. If you got fitness, Have them chase each other. Have them play freezer tag. Yeah, hundred percent. Be be creative. So, uh, always kind of a fun atmosphere, uh, and and really a uh, a whole part whole where we're we're learning something technical slowly, and then we're adding something fun in a game. And uh, but yeah, I just a positive, happy experience. I think when you're on the field coaching or you're doing anything in life, you have to be on and. Mm You know, I, I, we we've all been on tour or been busy with our work life, and then we get on the field and we're dragging our butt there as a player. Well, as a coach, you have to turn it on. And when you when you get back in your car or, or get back home, then you can then you can unwind. But when you step on the field, you gotta you gotta bring that energy, bring that passion, and make sure your athletes are living your your culture.
1: Yeah, totally agree. Well, I right, we mentioned uh, in the in the introduction there that uh, you've got. Uh, a pretty cool story there around coaching the the Mexican women's team to the 2018 Rugby World Cup for sevens um how how did that come about how did that start and that journey must have been pretty awesome
2: yeah well uh um I I always you know as much as I I hate to admit it Carl Fix uh from Saskatchewan uh, I got him to thank for many things in my life and Mm -hmm. uh um, and one of them was, was Mexico. So I was, I was in Cuba playing and coaching the, uh, the men's Howlers team full of, uh, Pat Parfrey and a pile of other, uh, young stars at the time. And, um, we were the men, we made it to the cup final despite having, I don't know, four injuries and picking up, a uh, an Irish guy that was 89 or whatever. Um, <laughs> but uh anyhow there we are in havana uh getting ready for a cup final um i think it was like game eight uh when carl organizes these tournaments it's always like he wants you to play like a thousand games so game eight um and uh, right before our cup final the the howlers women were playing in the cup final and it was made up of uh kind of as the howlers back then used to mainly be is future canadians current canadians and ex-canadian mm-hmm. internationals uh we had a girl named rosie rivera that played for mexico but was living in in canada so um they were losing the the the, the women's howlers were losing at halftime to the famous atlantis group out of the states and uh, i went on to the field at halftime then i'm a coach and i said ladies i don't want to undermine you but I have a couple uh, words of advice if you're interested and they said yes please and they were down 3 try or 4 tries to nothing um, I said you have a fitter faster team if you pass the ball two or three times before you have a go, literally statically just pass the ball. You're going to have an empty net, you're, and you're going to win. Anyway, they came back five tries, and they won five tries to four, Perfect. just like that.
1: Super coach. It was literally
2: like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're like, wow, you're amazing. I'm like, Well, there's an empty net, shoot the puck. Um, but uh, anyhow, Rosie engaged me. Listen, I, I heard her husband said, listen, she's involved with the Mexican team. We'd love to have you uh, involved. took three, four years, and finally uh, uh, we ended up hosting a camp in Sus- Kachuan, and they did a bit of a western canada tour and i was a guest coach i consulted um uh and then i went i went down to mexico for uh the hong kong qualifiers that fall as well as the central american caribbean games in mexico and uh and then i just kind of consulted on a number of tours around the world for two three years and then in 2016 they didn't really have a team their coach left didn't really have a side, and uh, we found out about the birth for the 20, uh, 2018 Rugby World Cup, and so I really pushed it. I knew them then, uh, I knew the whole system, I'd assessed everything, and uh, the president uh, said, okay, we'll, uh, we'll build this team up again, but they basically, the program was in defunct for over a year, so my first camp, I had over 20 girls, but they, it was just kind of thrown together, and of those 20 girls, only a couple of them ended up coming to the World Cup, and I always said in those three, four years, there's more talent out there. And going back to my talent ID madness, I, I scoured the country for athletes. And every time I get an athlete from a new region, I would ask, is there other athletes like you? Mm. Um, and just kind of found out the geography of the country and put in the work. And, uh, yeah, so we had a we had a goal. I, 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 my first camp was in April uh, when I took over in 2017. And the World Cup qualifiers was in November. And we had no money. We couldn't afford to go on tour. We didn't have uh, any balls. So I had to bring some old balls down our field, uh, looked like a parking lot. Uh, so we couldn't really do a lot of contact. And I said, listen, this year is going to be work next year. We're going to fly around the world. We're going to go to a world cup. We're going to have it all. We're going to have sponsors. We're going to have kit. We're going to have it all this year. We're going to grind. And Some of them left their partners, quit their jobs, dropped out of school, left their families. They they went all in with me. And the only way, our our why was for Mexico, because in that year, um, we had a couple earthquakes while we were at the the National Training Center. There was um, uh, tsunamis that hit parts of Mexico that were affected, and so I started the campaign Poor Mexico, which is for Mexico, and we had this hashtag and and rode to the World Cup. We sold, I don't know, 15,000 t-shirts, raised money and uh, two weeks before the World Cup qualifiers, which we were hosting in Mexico City, we we hosted another tournament, imitational tournament and we suffered. Seven of our starters got injured and we Mm -hmm. had two teams in this tournament. So seven of our top players that have been around got injured. And the reality is is that um, it was no fault of theirs but they hadn't been playing at this level for a long time so their bodies were breaking down. Mm -hmm. And ultimately i had built up a squad at that time over 50 or 60 a depth chart i just kept bringing more and more girls in more and more girls in and uh luckily we did that because we ended up of the 12 women um that played in that qualifiers in november two weeks later um, the majority of them had never played international rugby had, had only ever played club rugby in mexico and most of them were under 20 years old most 17 18 19 and those little kids they got it done we won five nothing in a cup final we made history and the other piece was because we had such a young team i really tried to tap into the mexican culture Mm -hmm. and they love to sing and they love to dance so they always sing and dance and as a canadian we don't sing and dance enough so (laughs) uh, what i found was it really calmed them and it really brought them together so i Mm -hmm. told them to come up with a song that would mean a lot to them so they they sang this song lindo lindo and we would do it before practice and after after practice. We did it for six seven months. And when we got to the the competition, they sang it uh, in the huddle right before they or in the tunnel right before they ran onto the field. And it would com- take all their nerves. Now that we, it was in front of like five six thousand people in Mexico City mm. on the president's ground, and it was a lot of pressure on these young girls. But the second they did that, it was just like it was like you know, the Mexican hockey. Like it would just light a fire, and the whole crowd was singing. I would painted this picture for six seven months. So anyway, they ran out there, and they sang the song, and then we ended up qualifying for the World Cup, and it was just, you know, uh, so emotional course. And as we're receiving the trophy, there's six, 7,000 uh, Mexican uh, supporters and family and friends singing the song, um, just echoing across, uh, across these grounds. And, uh, um, you know, we had a plan. We built a culture, and the biggest thing was building, uh, a, you know, a solution-orientated... Um, world where we were going to be hit with nothing but problems but we had to find mm-hmm. solutions. When mm-hmm. I took over the, the first thing I said is we won't let you down because historically women's sport in Mexico uh, is always uh, treated like a second class sport, a second class citizens and being involved for 3-4 years I knew some of those challenges so the first thing I said to them is if I promise you something or something's promised to you as a team we're not going to let you down. I'm going to find a way mm-hmm. 100%. And it's okay to win. So we had to build a winning culture. And, and coaches always say build a winning culture. And what does that look like? In Mexico, Andy, it's okay to lose. Mm. It's totally okay to lose. Oh, you lost by 80? That's fine. Those girls are so nice. High five, kisses. Mm. I said it's not okay for us to lose anymore. I wasn't hard on them when we did lose. But I made it okay for them to win. And mm. and, and once they kind of uh, changed that mindset and Whereas in Canada and in Australia and in different parts of the world, it's not okay to lose. We, we expect our national teams to be successful. Um, it was just like turning a switch, and uh, it, it was very, very motivating. The, 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 the thing that that I love most about, or I'm most proud of those women, is that after 2018, after we went to World Cup, World Rugby put out numbers, and there was more women participating in the sport of rugby than Canada, US and any other country in all the Americas. And I don't even know where we were on the list before twenty seventeen. So the game is fully exploded down there. The standard is not there yet, but uh um it's it's well on its way and uh yeah as a coach, uh you want to talk about uh a tool bag. Um we were we, we were making tools every day and uh, it was it was pretty special as you can tell from Mike's Yeah,
1: No doubt. No, you can I can tell how um, how passionate you are about the experience, and also how you know invested you must have been uh, um, to to experience that. But uh, you're you're saying before we hit record earlier, you had a pretty cool experience recently where you you had uh, on one of your your Zoom calls with your athletes, you had uh, a guest athlete come on and speak, and she was one of your former players from Mexico. Can you talk a bit about that?
2: Yeah, so we had uh, Isabella Gonzalez come on, my one of my captains, and uh, she she was a high-level high, uh, soccer player before uh, she started rugby. She'd only been playing rugby eight, nine months before I took over as head coach. And, man, she followed, followed the recipe to success, and she kicked off against New Zealand in the World Cup a year later. And wow. <laughs> she would be the first one on the field and the last one after. And And we talked about these moments over and over again. Anyway, she kicked off deep. New Zealand bobbled the ball, hit it into the hole. Just like I was saying earlier, New Zealand turned, uh, turned, fired one bad pass, another bad pass, and and then that same girl tackled them out of bounds. We got the line out on their on their twenty-two, um, but. Yeah, just just so inspirational. So, yeah, we got, I don't know, 50, 60 Canadian kids, Americans, uh, Mexican and and uh, Argentinians on this call. And she had them all in tears, I think. But every week we've had Jake Teo, Kayla Maleski and then this other girl, Ariana Boriani that plays for the Pumas, share their story. So, uh, yeah, it's it's so it's so inspiring hearing people's journeys.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's cool when you when you know you had a, a bit to do with it. So that, that that's awesome. All right. And what about McDowell rugby? You've got your own academy happening. You're, you're running some camps under normal circumstances. Can you talk a little bit about that, how that works and, and some of the, some of the experiences around that coaching?
2: Yeah. Well, uh, as I said earlier, uh, when I finished playing for Canada, I was basically traveling out of the back of my truck with a bag of balls and trying to grow the game literally anywhere and everywhere. <laughs> um, but, uh, after a few years in Saskatchewan, um, uh, coaching at all levels i wanted to work a bit smarter and uh um, at that time uh SAS rugby didn't really have the capacity to form their own academy and obviously there challenges with you know the limited uh limited uh grass grass uh, you know being warm enough and stuff like that so <laughs> i got to I, I just surrounded myself with uh, some excellent people there uh former players of mine that university guys and girls that had gone on to be uh, school teachers and, and, uh, and, and, good coaches. And, and yeah, we, it's basically a solution because, because the sport was dying in the prairies. And so basically we just run uh, once or twice a week on days that don't conflict with, uh, with club sessions or high school sessions. Mm-hmm. So our goal is really just to grow the game outside of the pathway to support the pathway yeah. or support the stream. And, and this is our fourth year, 90 percent of the athletes each year that sign up that are new or are, are, are non-rugby players that are new rugby players so it's been a good so good uh, good piece that way and then since i've relocated to vancouver island the academy still thrives obviously outside of you know the covid world mm-hmm. um and i'm just uh people say you're going to start one on the coast i said well there's lots of rugby going on here um, but i'm just i'm just guest coaching with different clubs here trying to support the game and then mentoring Uh, you know different different aspiring athletes on Vancouver Island and then outside of that I've had the opportunity to guest coach across the U.S. as well as Canada Um, and most recently in February before COVID and before the Vancouver 7s I got to go to Prince Rupert and I got an opportunity to coach every single kid in in the town of Prince Rupert (laughs) and (laughs) I, I had the best time in that little seaside town so yeah it's 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 um the most rewarding thing about mac Dual rugby is is not just developing players but developing coaches and and it's you know my motto is dream believe succeed so have a dream surround yourself by people that believe in you and and if you do those things you'll be successful and and my goal again is just to uh just inspire the next generation and and and, and support them
1: awesome. well it sounds like you're doing great stuff and um, listeners, if they want to know more, definitely give you a follow on Twitter. Uh, I'll put I'll put the handle in the uh, in the show notes so they can check it out. All right, cool. And uh, final question: You've also uh, you've, you're starting up a, a podcast uh, called the Rugby Hive. Can you talk a little bit about that and
2: and what what some of the goals are with with that production? Yeah, thanks, Andy. Uh, yeah, the Rugby Hive has been an idea I've had for a while. Um, but obviously, there's lots of lots of traveling involved. Everybody's busy. And and I hate to say that I, I didn't have the time before. Or mm-hmm. I like to say I I, I didn't make the time. Right. Um, but regardless, I have the time now. So uh, um, I travel so much around the world, around the country. And I, I feel so uh, fortunate as a small town Canadian kid to get to interact with some of the, the best players and coaches in the world. And I wanted to bring their stories to people and uh, our motto is every legend has a story mm-hmm. the rugby hive is here to share it and uh, it's been engaged sorry it's been it's been really inspiring and we've had i think uh, we've already recorded 25 we haven't launched yet and yeah. uh, um, and i partnered with a guy named Dallas stanford who's a world rugby commentator he commentated in japan in the world cup and he's our mainstay on the world series he, we actually played on the World Series against each other. He played for the U.S., so uh, we, uh, we kind of smashed heads a few times. But other than <laughs> that, uh, it's uh, it's been good fun so far.
1: Yeah, that's great. And, you know, for me, the more content out there, the better because every podcast I listen to, whether it's rugby-related or not, I'll, I'll take something from it and, and, and throw it into my coaching uh, mix
2: yeah absolutely um there's we're so fortunate in this day and age to be able to you know that whole knowledge transfer piece and uh you know what the best part is there's been some good tour stories and some other uh <laughs> funny roommates and um uh, I'll, I'll share one piece so uh nate hiriyama was was our first guest and and his his best roommate ever was uh was my worst roommate ever and uh, you'll have to listen to our <laughs> podcast to find out why
1: <laughs> cool Awesome. All right. Well, we always end the, the show with the same final four questions. When you were a kid growing up and you first got exposed to rugby, who who was one of the players that you really looked up to?
2: Well, uh, I took a look at some of your questions, Andy, and and being the most Canadian guy out there, I, I had to give you a Canadian answer and then a global answer, <laughs> if that's okay. Oh, good. Oh, good. But uh, but I got to give a shout-out to Gregor Dixon, who yeah. was playing for Couch in those days, and uh, Captain Canada, the Chiefs. So if it weren't for Gregor uh, – I don't think there'd be Robin uh in that. This is pre-Google for all those young kids out there. He would he would leave these Hong Kong 7s and these World Rugby 7s books on on the couch in a rugby club uh a bar or or table and I'd flip through them and you know being a hockey kid you you have no idea that these stadiums fill up and 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 just the colors so mm. but outside of that he was just a a class human class canadian and and was well respected so um he was a big influence in my life and i just love watching him play and then uh uh outside of canada uh david campese because i'm Maybe. half italian so yeah, uh, yeah when i used to I, I used to i mastered the goose step um <laughs> uh, both on the dance floor as well as on the field so uh, he was a big influence for me and then uh and then uh, a guy named brenton Paulser from south africa he was a small fast yeah, guy yeah. and uh absolutely and he helped uh, help me go through some holes
1: yeah cool and uh, i think campo was the first because i grew up playing rugby league and i think the first time i watched the wallabies play it was campo that i was like holy cow what's going on here
2: Yeah, uh, he was pretty special and and like him, I took a lot of chances and I made a lot of mistakes, but uh, but, uh, that's how I learned.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And what about now? Who are some of the players going around that you like what they're doing?
2: Well, uh, in Canada, uh, I have to I have to take Pat K. Uh, mm-hmm. He's yep. uh, he's my protege, but uh, but he's ten times the, the player I, I ever was, and that's what I wanted. But he, you goal. know, for me, he's he's super consistent uh, on, on defense and attack, and mm-hmm. he's humble, and he's just he's always the first was on the field and still the last one off. And and from a from a woman, I would say Kayla Maleski, uh yeah. for the Canadian women. She's the unsung hero. Uh, she does the right thing at the right time every time and, and every day she shows up to practice with a smile and then uh um with no favoritism to the aussie host uh my favorite player outside of canada is maurice longbottom if yeah. we're talking sevens yeah um he's a jack-of-the-box awesome. yeah. yeah and when he gets on the field it's like having a little dog loose yeah and uh and he's uh, he's an inspiration for me yeah he's unreal for sure completely agree and Fantastic
1: answer. Uh, No bias from my side. Um, All right, what about coaches? Who are some of the the high-profile coaches uh, who you feel are uh, are doing work that that you like and respect and and get some uh, ideas from?
2: Uh, Again, domestically, I would say John Tate, uh, and he's been doing that. Absolutely. For, for a long time, and I'm I'm truly honored to to work with him and under him right now. Um, he's just been consistent, and he's an honest, good, hardworking Canadian guy that is always looking for feedback, and he always puts the game and 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 the athletes first. So, um, yeah, very impressed with John Tate. And uh, outside of Canada, um, you know, Damien McGrath that spent time here, of course. Yeah, sure. uh, he was he was a big uh, influencer of mine and really opened my eyes to. On my own development and is just always calm and cool. So, um, but then outside of Damien, uh, another one of my mentors has been Andy Friend. Again, yeah. another Aussie. Uh, he's at Connaught right now, but when he first started mentoring me, he was with the Aussie Sevens, and uh, we stay in touch all the time. Um, but what I like about both those men is they've been there and done that, but they're still as humble as can be. They. Yeah um are again super simple in their approach and they always put the athletes in the program first and then lastly um uh a guy that's kind of closer to my age than i used to play against but is the new zealand uh, all black sevens coach clark laidlaw mm-hmm. who's a good good mate of mine now and uh he's the same way as those guys he's you know it's all about the team sure look at the type of coach that i want to be and the type of man that i aspire to be um you know those guys kind of are 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 definitely pillars that i work to uh to be like one day
1: cool awesome yeah i had damo on uh the pod and andy friend as well so echo your words there in, in terms of humility um they were fantastic guests so definitely be uh looking to invite john and uh and clark uh as well to have a chat to them no doubt all right. And last question. What's uh, who's who's someone in the grassroots uh, around your community that's doing great work and deserves a shout out?
2: Yeah, I would say uh, Brett Cannonberg. Uh He's he, he's in Saskatchewan. Uh, he was a captain of the university side there for a number of years. He's a school teacher now. He also has uh, the guy balances a lot of things. He's got his own woodworking business he does on the side, but he's the main academy coach. And everybody said to me, what's Mac dual rugby going to look like when he moved to the coast? I said, well, it's going to look quite the same when I lived in Saskatchewan because I was never there. And mm-hmm. the reason why my program uh, has been successful and it's been successful because we've been developing athletes and we've been developing athletes because of Brett Cannonberg. So he's better than me. Um, and uh, he, he's, uh, he's well-educated. Uh, he's a full-time school teacher and, and he's just a very bright mind. Um but, You know he's taken everything that i've i've tried to show him and he's taken it to another level he's super humble again like those those gentlemen we were talking about and because of his schedule and how busy is he's not always available andy to go on tour with these select sides but Mm. the saskatchewan boys four years ago when we started our our sevens uh u18 team we were losing by 80 90 points to ontario and bc and alberta and everybody uh and then we won a couple games year two and then a couple more games year three well this last year we just won uh nationals and uh, beating ontario in the final and and brett wasn't available to travel but Mm. he's he's the man behind the program he's there uh religiously coaching these kids in the snow in the gyms and uh and you know has has allowed me to do what I, i i've been able to do around the world so um he's a guy that doesn't get enough credit but anytime i can i i I support him so uh thank you brett for all you do
1: awesome and it's a great way to wrap things up robin um thanks thanks for coming on the show i really appreciate you giving up your time and to talk about the the good work you're doing around canada in terms of growing the game and also outside of canada with the, the story around around mexico uh it's been a pleasure chatting with you and thank you again for giving up some of your time
2: Thank you, Annie. It was an honor to be on here. All the
1: best.
0: No worries. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review via iTunes and keep listening for the next episode. Also follow us via Twitter at RugbyCoachesCNR or via the website, therugbycoachescorner.com. Until next time, keep sharing ideas to make the game better.